Hey, ever wonder what it would be like to start your own food business? How about your own chocolate brand, craft beer, pizza store, or fruit juice company? Every week, we talk to people who have and are making money doing it. Here on MakeMoneyWithFood.com, food entrepreneurs just love to share their success stories with you. So you can do it too. Now, here's the guy who just loves his local farmer's market, Mark Hayes. Hi, and welcome to another episode of MakeMoneyWithFood.com. I'm your host, Mark Hayes. Most farmers' markets are long-established focal points for countryside to city trade. Some such markets have existed for over 200 years or longer, providing fresh vegetables and farm produce to urban dwellers. It's therefore seldom that a city marshals the considerable resources, community backing, and, of course, investment required to build a new, state-of-the-art, year-round venue for local food producers. Boston is a laudable exception. In today's podcast, therefore, we have the privilege of meeting Tiffany Emig, market manager for the new Boston Public Market, which opens its doors later this year in July 2015. As market manager, Tiffany's role is crucial in helping to vet and manage the vendors who will have the wonderful opportunity of establishing their food businesses in the new market. Listen in as Tiffany shares with us a sneak preview of the new market's guiding principles and the kinds of opportunities which exist for you as a budding food entrepreneur. So my guest this morning on MakeMoneyWithFood.com is Tiffany. Tiffany Emig, is that right, Tiffany? Correct. And you're the marketing manager for the new Boston Public Market. That's right. Okay. So according to your website, the new Boston Public Market will be a permanent year-round self-sustaining market modeled on similar markets such as those in Seattle, Montreal, and Philadelphia, where I lived for a while. There are, as far as I know, other markets in Boston, for example, along the Rose Kennedy Greenway at Dewey Square. Why is there a need for a new Boston public market? Well, I think historically, the concept of finding a place in the center of the city where um, customers can go, the community can go, and meet all sorts of different uh, growers, purveyors, producers, um, is, is a very important one. Um, it's one that a lot of cities got away from, um, and and Boston is one of those. Um, sometime mid century, uh, mid twentieth century, um, but but this concept of the importance of local foods and of connecting to your food source has really become more popular over the past decade, uh, and and the demand for local foods is has risen astronomically. Um, so we do have farmers markets in Boston, um, the the Jewish Square Market being one of them, and it's one that we operate. Um, but we don't have that year-round, um, seven-day-a-week or or at least five-day-a-week operation um, that is really retail food-centric. Um, Boston, many people are are familiar with Quincy Market. Um, and the Faneuil Hall area, uh, that was historically a, a produce and meat market where people could go for their shopping, pick things up, and go home and eat. Um, with with the growth of uh, urbanization and really the, the buildup of downtown and the changing in the dynamics of, of what's around that area, it's become more of a food um, prepared foods market these days. Um, so we're still looking for that year-round source of produce and meat and seafood and all of the great things that make New England food uh, unique. I had a farmer's market stall for four years together with my mother in the milk market in Limerick in Ireland. 
And that market started in the 1890s or thereabouts. But Boston's market history goes back to the time of Quincy Market and before that again. Do you know roughly how how long we're talking about in terms of a market, farmer's market history in Boston? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, this this is how every community used to, how, how every city used to feed itself. Um, True. You know, folks would come in from the outer areas. Um, farmers would come in from the surrounding rural areas and bring their produce in and meet with um you know, the urban folks who didn't have that access to produce. And a lot of times that was done on a, in, in a lot of cities in a very casual, really just a cart on the street type atmosphere. Um, but, um, you know, here we had, we did have the covered uh, Quincy Market area that, that took care of that really from, from the beginning of the city. Um, and do, have you seen a growth or, or an interest, a marked interest in the population of New England to see a resumption of these markets, perhaps a strengthening of the tradition of buying food from local producers? Absolutely. Um, the, the farmers markets are increasingly popular and increasingly um, competitive in that every neighborhood, and, and I anticipate this is similar in, in cities across the country, but every neighborhood has a farmers market. But the, the challenge is how does, a, especially here in Massachusetts, um, where we have pretty here. Um, what do we do in, in the winter months? Um, how do we find local foods in January and February? Um, and a lot of the farmers are starting to respond to that uh, by working through um, stronger root vegetable production and building hoop houses to extend their seasons and going through assorted value-added processes so that they right. can have things like pickles and kimchi. Um, so there are a few year-round farmers markets in the Boston area, and those have been wonderful. Um, I was actually just at one this morning, and it was packed. <laughs> it was absolutely packed. Um, so the demand is extremely high, um, and I think that it, the, the demand can help feed more supply, and I think we can challenge more farmers to um, to move into year-round production and to, to push their seasons a little bit, and that's been really fun. I'd like to focus on a couple of points made on your website. Um, and just quote, quoting directly, it says that the market will let people from all walks of life taste, buy, and understand their food, from how it's made and sourced to its nutritional value, uh, to its impact on our environment. How important are these principles or this ethos behind not just buying food which tastes good, but also knowing uh, where it comes from, who made it, uh, whether it's from the local area or not, and its eventual impact and way uh, into our environment as scrap or some kind of byproduce. I think that's that's a, a more popular um, belief among people these days. Um, people want to know where their food comes from, um, and and for those who haven't even really given it a thought yet, I think that the experience of buying food from someone who grows it. Um, will be an interesting one for them. And we hope that that is something that they they grow to enjoy and to find value in in the public market atmosphere. So, um, you know, if you go to a market right now and uh, you're looking at root vegetables, this might not be food that a lot of people are used to eating. Um, it took me until a few years ago to know exactly what to do with a rutabaga. So what do you do? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> Oh, oh, mashed rutabagas are delicious. They really are. I, I, they have a, a little bit more interesting taste than a potato, um, but a, a mashed rutabaga is delicious. 
you can do all sorts of other things with it. I love to mash them. And do you make your own soup? Are you the kind of person who... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and this is the thing, and you, you know how I learned this is by, by going to my markets and asking my farmer, well, what is that thing and what am I supposed to do with it? Um, so it, it's... It's about uh, it's about a lot of things. It's about community. It's about connecting to to other people and talking about food. Um, I get really excited about hearing people try things for the first time and and just talking about different cultures and how um, you know how um, a Mexican immigrant might use a potato or something that we consider you know very standard in a different way than we might. Right. Um, so there's there's that community aspect for sure. Um, and then there's the, the environmental aspect as well. Um, you know, it's definitely better for the environment for your food to travel less of a distance. So, Absolutely. to the degree that you can, yeah. So, the, to the degree that you can buy something that was raised a few miles away or grown a few miles away, that's it's better for our future um, as a globe. Uh, just to be able to to make those decisions, even if it involves sacrificing tomatoes in February and instead going for the rutabaga. Yeah, it's it's a very important point um, that your website draws attention to, and that's that's the educational aspect. Uh, how important is it in in terms of the, the, what the, what you're thinking, and perhaps what the Boston Public Market Association is thinking? How important is the element of education of of selling? food to buyers which um, they need to understand, uh, in other words, the constituent ingredients, but also the story behind the people that produce that food in the first place. How important is the educational aspect of selling food? That's an essential component of what we're doing. And it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's not just education in the form of boring information. Um, we want that educational component to be um, kind of an afterthought almost and a part of the experience. So um, to that point, we have a part of the public market that will be a demonstration kitchen area. Um, it'll be a really flexible space. It'll be a place where um, some of our, our vendors will be able to do product demonstrations. We'll be able to bring in chefs to show off fancy knife cutting skills, you know, how to make those those great uh, radish rosettes and things like that. But also other things, um, things maybe that aren't even really obviously related to food, um, just basic healthy living, um, quick exercise classes or yoga classes, um, film documentary screenings. Um, the beauty and, and the point of a public market that makes it different from other types of markets is that there are public goals. And one of those goals for us is education, like you said. Um, so we, we really want to be mindful of education in a, in a fun way and in a, a way that creates a community space where people can gather and have conversations around food. Okay. Well, this website, as you know, is, is called makemoneywithfood.com, and it's really aimed at people who are uh, prospective food business owners. These are people who may not be in a food business today, but they might, for example, think of, for lifestyle reasons and other reasons, think of leaving their day job or taking a business idea they have and, and, and running with it. Um, I would I would ask you how you're going to identify the speciality food producers, farmers and fishermen that you want to see set up shop at the Boston public market. Are there particular suppliers or artisan food makers whom you'd like to attract in the first place? Yeah. So, um, so the market 
exists um, to be a, a place where lots of different types of food can be found. Um, so definitely producers uh, are an important component of that. And I mentioned before some value-added products. Um, we Anything from um, jams and jellies to um, artisan chocolates will be a part of the Boston public market. Um, of course, those all have to be locally produced in, in some capacity. Um, the the businesses that um, that we're working with already for for anchor tenant positions in the market um, have come to us at, at very different parts of their business growth. Um, I think that some of them are are names and businesses that some people might have heard of before, and some of them will be brand new. Okay. Um, so I think there are very different types of, of businesses that will that can be successful in a public market. And then there are other types that this is not the right fit for them. I mean, I can talk a little bit about that and and the differences between the two. Um, You know, in a public market atmosphere, you need to be able to work out of a very small space. So for some businesses, that means their production process would be off-site. So they need to know that they're going to possibly have two locations. Um, For, for, Others, um, maybe all of their process is happening on-site um, or all of the, the sales is happening on-site. Um, but either way, they need to be able to work out of 100 square feet to maybe up to 1,000 square feet, but, but nothing larger than that. Um, they need to have uh, the ability to really put a lot of energy into this project. Um, I think there is a, a misconception that if you're working in this environment that's already a vibrant, active market that you can just maybe show up and and your product will sell itself. And that's not the case. Um, we're really looking for businesses that have something unique to offer and that are willing to put a lot of effort into, um, into drawing their own audience and to developing their own customer base. Um, the other really important thing, and I think this might be most important, is that uh, we would say if, if this was a kindergarten class, we would say they need to play well with others, right? Um, they need to be able to understand that the purpose of a, of a public market is community, and they need to work with other businesses well, um, and to some and to some extent sacrifice some flexibility in their business operations uh, in order to be in that community atmosphere. So, for example, um, if you are a local winery and you want to be in the public market, well, the public market's going to open at 8 a.m. Um, that might not be the retail hour that you would start at normally if you were doing your own independent storefront. Good point. But you need to understand that the customers need to expect you to be there and everyone in the market to be there at the same time. Um, to maintain standard hours and customer expectation and all of that. So you need to understand how to work around an 8 o'clock opening hour, even as a winery. Um, so that, that idea, I think, that, that limits some flexibility, but it also creates some really great opportunities. So, again, if you're a winery, um, maybe you can work with uh, a jam or jelly producer that's next to you. Um, to use some of your wines in a in a wine jelly, which I have had before, and they're delicious. I've had a Merlot jelly that is <laughs> fabulous. It sounds delicious. Um, 
so there are there are you know there are opportunities to cross promote and to to grow product lines because of your relationships with these other existing businesses that kind of I think balance out that loss of flexibility. Yes, you mentioned people coming in at eight a.m. In fact, my experience it was typically on a Saturday morning, uh, regardless of the night before. It was a case of getting up at um, around about four o'clock to put the oven on, um, get some baking done. And then turning up at the market, sometimes in the dark, pitch dark, Irish winter, you can imagine, at roughly seven o'clock in the morning, uh, rain or no rain, you were there, you were on time, and you had people coming up literally out of the, the out of the darkness to, to buy your freshly made scones or pastries or whatever it is you had in your store shelf. Um, so that's a good point you made, actually. People need to consider the fact that there is not just... Uh, you know, a, a shiny storefront to come along and open up. You literally have to turn up, you've got to set things up, and you've got to have been up uh, on time to make your produce fresh that morning. That's the particular thing that you're selling. That's right. It, it's it's hard. I mean, let's be honest. Any small business is difficult. Um, and food-based businesses are really competitive, and, and especially in today's global marketplace, it's really hard to compete as a small producer. Um, you know, one of the benefits of a public market, again, is just being around others and creating this critical mass um, so that people can come to one place and get a lot of different types of products. Um, but but it's a lot of work. And anyone who thinks that, that you know, we'll just show up and sell some food on Saturday, it's, uh, they will learn really quickly that <laughs> it's, it takes a lot more than that. So on that basis, what does prospective food stall holder, some listener to the program right now, perhaps in the Massachusetts area, who thinks this could be something for me, what does that food stall holder or potential food stall holder or farmer have to do to be accepted at the market? What's the process like, in other words? Well, we have, we have an application process. Um, we, ask that, we actually have a lot of information on our website, which is bostonpublicmarket.org, um, that describes some of the background information. It shares our business plan um, and tells people what they need to do in order to uh, become a market merchant. Um, essentially, we ask them to submit a business plan and to think about um, their participation in the market along a lot of different streams, um, one being financial, uh, one being supply chain related. Can you produce enough to provide enough products to, um, to sell at this market? Are you big enough to do that? Um, what, uh, how will your product get to the market? How will you staff the market um, for 12 hours a day, more than 12 hours a day for five days a week? Um, lots of different ideas. Um, so we have people put together a proposal and send it to us. Um, we have a committee. We're a nonprofit organization as a man management entity. So we have a committee of members of our board and members of the community who review all of these applications. We're looking not just for really great products and really great businesses, but the right mix of businesses. So um, in our first round of applications, we probably could have filled the entire market with just cheese, which personally <laughs> is a dream of mine. I would love to shop at that market. Um, <laughs> okay. But it's not what we were going for. <laughs> so Boston Public Cheese Market. <laughs> it's, 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 it, I'll put that aside as a future project, but um, call me. <laughs> but for but for now, uh, we need that product diversity. So um, 
so looking for the best in each category and, um, you know, is this something that we think will be successful in the Boston public market, given the other mix of, of tenants and, and food offerings? So um, we make those decisions. Then we um, spend a lot of time with each business um, once they've moved forward in the process, working on um, building out a space that will work for them. This is a challenge because um, a retail operation in 100 or 200 or 500 square feet can be very difficult. So the effective use of space in a way that's going to allow them to be successful um, is interesting and it's something we work closely with them on. Um, we work out a lease agreement. We work out all the nitty-gritty business stuff of insurance and all that other great fun aspects of being a business. Um, and uh, then we we will be moving into the, the move-in um, phase of things as of this spring and summer. Okay. When does the market actually open? We, we will be open in July. Mm-hmm. That is our target of 2015. And how many stalls will you have in total in terms of spaces for your ideal tenants, farmers, fishermen, local food producers? We expect to see around 45 businesses under the roof. Um, that number, of course, is changing um, every day as we talk to more people. Um, and as we work on the build-out phase, I think a lot of people have realized once we start um, actually designing their stall that they need a little bit more space to work within or, or maybe they don't need as much space. So, um, so that number is somewhat flexible, but I expect to see somewhere around 45 in the final count. I should also say that we we also have an aspect um, for a, a, an outdoor farmer's market uh, on the sidewalks around the market. So most of the market is indoors, but we'll have the flexibility a few times a week to do uh, an outdoor market. So if someone's listening to this program just now and is really, really interested, is it, is it too late or is, would you welcome applications at this stage in January? We will always be recruiting. Um, the, the, while the market floor might be full, um, and it's not, and I will, I will start with right now. Um, we're definitely still looking for some great businesses um, in any category. Um, and so definitely, they, uh, definitely go to our website, definitely contact me. Um, but we will always have a, a list of um, great businesses on the horizon. We're, we're going to be a fluid market. And while we hope that a lot of our tenants are with, with us for a very long time, um, we also understand that things will change and grow for every business. And um, so we will always maintain an active um, wait list for great new businesses. We, we want to be a vibrant and exciting place um, and a place that showcases the best of Massachusetts and New England food. Are there particular markets which you have in mind in if you will, emulating when you open up the new Boston public market? Are there particular markets around the country uh, which you have in mind and you'd like to see those actually come to life but in Boston? Or is this a completely new concept? Yeah, so that is such a great question. And um, people are, I think, most familiar on a national scale with markets like, um, uh, like Pike's Place in Seattle or Reading Terminal in Philadelphia. Um, and those are very old markets that have been around for over a hundred years um, that have a lot of different, um, I think, benefits and challenges because of their age. Um, as a new market, we we are a slightly different concept. 
Uh, and there are lots of markets popping up all over the country, again, because of this return to the local food, um, this interest in local foods. But I can't name a single market that I would say we will be just like that market. Um, if you've been to several markets in different cities, you'll know that they're all completely different. They all reflect um, both the food base of the area around that market, um, but also kind of the, the dynamics of, of the city and of um, the types of vendors that are in that market. That's a good point. So there's nothing... I, I don't want to say we're like this other market. We've been very careful, I think, to to say that while we're modeled off of these concepts of public markets that people might be familiar with, we're not going to be like them. Um, and I do want to point out that the one thing that's going to make us very different from any other public market that, that they may be familiar with is that we have a local sourcing mandate. So all of our businesses in the public market will be um, locally sourced in some capacity. Um, so I will give you the example of um, I am a huge fan of really great olive oil. Oh, yes. We will not absolutely. have olive oil. Yeah. <laughs> we will have no olive oil in the Boston public market because it's not produced in Massachusetts or New England. So um, there are things that we give up for that, but there are some really great, I think, things that, that come of that in terms of creative um product use and just the, the knowledge that the things that you'll be getting there are locally grown, locally raised, locally produced. So in effect, you're encouraging a degree of entrepreneurship. You're basically challenging the people to say, look, this is what we produce here in New England, in Massachusetts. There's an opportunity for you to sell in this environment, come up with some ideas or some product which uh, is derived from produce in the area. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And when you when you start looking at the list of things that can be produced in this area, it's it's really impressive. And and it I think it will also help highlight some things that are are less familiar to people. So it'll be fun. In terms of the the kinds of support that someone might need if they're setting up a food business for the first time and they're successfully accepted into the Boston public market as a storeholder. What kind of support would be available from the Boston Public Market Association? Well, I think there are there are a lot of, of different kinds of support, and different businesses need different kinds of support. Um, certainly one of the big things that we are working with um, is access to microloans uh, through a, a few different avenues. Um, we have some great project partners who are interested in helping small businesses grow um, through microloans. Um, I think another one would be um, finding just the right connections for things like um, we have a great relationship with a business called Crop Circle Kitchen. Crop Circle Kitchen, okay. Yeah, they're, they're a really great uh, and growing shared-use production kitchen. So it's a commissary where businesses, anything from a, a sauce maker to a food truck can go um, if they don't have the resources to build their own um, certified production kitchen yet. They can rent that space from Crop Circle Kitchen. Um, and, and there are other benefits of being a part of Crop Circle, but we have a, a great relationship with them, um, and a lot of our tenants will be able to take advantage of that, that local production kitchen. Now you mentioned the word certified uh, production kitchen. It's a very important point to make, actually, because people just can't really r roll up uh, or rock up in some kind of um, 
vehicle uh, and handle food without observing proper practice. They can't produce food in a kitchen which isn't, if you will, doesn't meet particular standards. How important is that, that people are conscious of the standards, the regulations of producing food, which is intended ultimately for human consumption from a properly certified production kitchen? That's essential. I mean, that that is a, a an absolute requirement, um, not just from a, a legal standpoint, but from a food safety standpoint um, and from a, a customer trust standpoint as well. Um, there are some states, uh, I think California is one of them, that allow some foods to be produced in the home and sold to the public. Um, but all of all of the things in Massachusetts, so all the things at the Boston public market will need to be produced in a um, in a certified commercial kitchen. Um, it's it's like I said, it's a health safety or food safety issue, um, and and frankly, your product will be better. Um, especially if you're able to um, utilize some of the equipment in in a place like Crop Circle, which is, you know, they have state-of-the-art excellent equipment. Um, It's an easier production process, um, and and the product product will be more consistent. And how can someone contact Crop Circle Kitchen? Um, They... (laughs) You're putting me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> Jen Fagel, I'm I'm trying to remember Jen Fagel's uh, phone number off of the top of my head, and I won't. They, have they a website? That would I'm sure it's CropCircleKitchen.com, but just let me check. Well, tell you what, I'm, I'm going to put these in the show notes for our listeners um, and visitors to the website, MakeMoneyWithFood.com, uh, before the podcast goes live. So don't worry about that. I'll I'll, I'll make sure the correct resources and uh, uh, web address and phone numbers are on there. I'll, I'll talk to you about that anyway after the end of the program. That's wonderful. Thank you. Okay. Boston Public Market is a non-profit uh, association. Um, so if our listeners would like to make a donation to the Boston Public Market Association, they can donate directly on the website. Is that correct? Uh, they will be able to very soon. We are working on getting that component onto our website. Um, early on, we, we focused on um, – we've been fortunate enough to have been largely supported – um, by some private uh, donors who are very interested in, in seeing um, the growth of the public market and also by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Um, we'll begin the, uh, uh, I think, targeted Friends of the Market program very soon, um, and that will come up on our website. Um, so we encourage people to not only stay, uh, you know, checking on the website, but also to follow us on Facebook, um, and on Twitter, and those links are also available right on the website. That'll give you um, the, the most updated information um, and access to exciting things like next month when we announce our first round of vendors for the market. Okay, so you already have a first round of vendors chosen, and they're they're going to be revealed next month. We are working through the leasing process with them right now. Well, um, I, I'd like to thank you very much for your time this morning and for being a guest here on MakeMoneyWithFood.com. Um, just to reiterate the contact details, if people want to get in touch, they can email information at bostonpublicmarket.org. Is that correct? Yeah, it's info at bostonpublicmarket.org. Info, okay, at bostonpublicmarket.org. Okay. Uh, we wish you, Steve Crawford from Crawford Strategies, and uh, all your team at the Boston Public Market Association to me the very best in what's bound to be a very exciting venture in the future. Thanks very much for coming on the program. Thank you so much, Mark. We appreciate it. A very special thanks to today's guest, Tiffany Emig, 
market manager of the New Boston Public Market, for her generosity in giving us, as food producers and consumers, an insight into what we, and of course the lucky people of Boston, Massachusetts, and New England, can expect later on this year when the market opens its doors in the summer of 2015. I know there's a wonderful team behind Tiffany, and a special thanks to Kayla, Liz, Mackenzie, Julia, Shaquille, and Megan for making this podcast possible. And of course, thanks to Steve Crawford of Crawford Strategies. And thanks especially to you for listening to today's podcast here on MakeMoneyWithFood.com, home of the food entrepreneur. Very shortly, we will have another episode of the program. Right behind me in the podcast kitchen, there is, of course, another episode being prepared as I speak. We'll be speaking to Jordan and Veronica, owners and co-founders of Soberdo.com. That's S-O-B-E-R-D-O-U-G-H, Soberdo.com. And they're a recent entry into the food business. They're based in Nashville, Tennessee, and produce bread kits, which are then used to make beer bread. And there's a load of recipes that they have on the website, different varieties of bread. It's a really exciting story, and I can't wait to share that with you in the next episode here on MakeMoneyWithFood.com. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's podcast here on MakeMoneyWithFood.com, home of the food entrepreneur. You know, we could sure do with your help. If you like the show, why not leave us a sweet little rating on iTunes, an awesome like on Facebook, or best of all, subscribe to our incredible email list today so we can keep sending amazing food entrepreneur stories, tips, and information your way. Okay, enough of the hard sell. <laughs> Visit www.makemoneywithfood.com right now. See you next time.